Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of LifePoint Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, check out lpcvan.com forward slash youth. All right. Good evening, guys. How are you? You guys doing good? If you're doing good, say yeah. All right. If you're doing real good, you just give me a yeah, yeah. All right. Go ahead and find your seats. Go ahead and find your seats. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Citizens. Dude, I love down here. It's almost like standing room only. Like, when you go to a concert and if the front row is sold out, like, you don't just, like, add more chairs. Like, you guys are literally just, like, stealing revenue from all the people that buy their their tickets here. So anyway, what's going on, guys? My name is Sam, youth pastor here at Citizens. Dude, what if that was my noise right now, right? Like, what if that was like my stomach? Dude, the Lord is coming. Woo! He's coming, which we'll find out more about in a minute. But uh, no, that was not the Lord. That was called reverb. I think it's called reverb. Reverb? Feedback? Anyway, give me some feedback. Anyway, my name is Sam. Welcome. Glad you guys are here. Uh, Why don't you guys go ahead and open up your Bibles. Go ahead and open up your Bibles. We are in the book of Malachi, for those of you who are Italian, yes. Also known as Malachi, for those of you who are not. Uh, And so here's what we do. Here's what we do. Every Wednesday, we come together. We have a blast. We love each other. This is a community. This is a family, and as a family, we open up our Bibles, all right? We open up our Bibles, and we, uh, we read it, and we answer two simple questions. What does that mean, and what am I going to do about it, right? And so go ahead, open up your Bibles. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, and you're using one of those paperback ones that you grab when you come in, we're on page 802, as we continue our series in Malachi. We're going to play a game. Can we start off with a little game? All right, I need some volunteers. Perfect. All of you are volunteers. Here we go. All of you. This is a group effort. All right. I'm going to put a picture up on the screen and I want you to verbally give me a response. All right. So whatever you feel about that person on the inside, we got to exaggerate it so we can feel it on the outside. But I want to kind of feel like what, what impression, what, what do you have? What do you feel about this person? Does that make sense? Any questions? All right. Let's throw a softball here. Okay. Here we go. Okay. okay. All right. Hey, that's not a bad idea. Let's add a new element. Okay, let's add an element. Not only the audible groan. Give me like a facial, like a like a revulsion. Like, how do you feel about that picture? Really good. Okay. All right. All right. Good. Next. Some of you guys need to loosen up the face. That's that's a bad face. For those of you who don't know, for those of you who don't know, this is Joaquin Phoenix, all right, from The Gladiator, slimiest character in all of cinema history, all right? He, like, wants to, like, fight The Gladiator, so he, like, comes up and, like, stabs him in the back. What? Never mind. Moving on. All right. Some people have some broken sense of justice, right? There's like a low-key dark side cult, you know what I mean? 
And like you missed the whole point of George Lucas's film, like dark side, light side. That was not up for debate of like, yeah, they're dark side. It's like, you missed it, dude. All right, so all the low key dark side cult members don't get that one. How about this one? Are you, all right, we can't play this anymore. You guys are ridiculous. What? How, what, how do you feel about this character? Uh, all right, good, that's better. All the sixth graders, you are now eliminated from this game. Silence. Uh, if you're in middle school and you love Voldemort, there's something seriously wrong with you and you need to pay attention today. Here we go. One more. All right, you broke the game. You literally broke the game. All right, Confe confession. When I was a little kid, I'm gonna be honest, this is straight up like just between me, me and you, okay? And the rest of the podcast world, just between us. When I was a little kid, I legitimately could not watch Sleeping Beauty because dude, like it was scary. It's not Sleeping Beauty. No, this is, this is Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, and so, yo, shh. Yo, no joke, no joke. I don't know who thought of this, but the way that she would, the way that she would appear in the movie, she would just boof. Anybody remember that one? It's not like she would walk into the room to give you some like emotional preparedness for what's about it. She'd be like, boof, right? And you're like, oh, the smoke. I literally, as a little kid, would run out of the bedroom and, and run to my mom. And I'd be like, no, I can do it now. I can do it. And every time she showed up, it was her and then Big Bird goes to China. That was a weird like appearing thing. I was scared. But anyway, one more, one more. Let me see the face. All right. Okay. <laughs> there's, like, there's like two things going on right now. Everybody who is normal and has seen, shh, quiet, don't do that. Hey, don't do that. We don't do that here, right? For those of you who have seen The Hunger Games, you're like, yeah, that's bad. And then for everybody else who has it, you're like, the guy from Pride and Prejudice? What's wrong with him, right? And I realize there's not a lot of context here. But um, this is President Snow. And so one more time, give me a face, give me an audible. What do you feel about this character? Good, yeah, all right. And so here's what's happening. Here's what is happening right now in this room. Here's what's happening before your eyes, okay? Right now, shh, hey guys, right now we are all experiencing, we are all being in touch with our sense of justice, okay? All of you right now are, are we're literally feeling, it's like tangible. Not literally, because I can't touch your words. But you, but you feel that the, ah, oh, the, right? All those things, that at play is our sense of justice. Justice. This is the feeling inside of us that when we see something that is evil, when we see something that isn't right, by nature, we revolt and we go, oh, I, I hate it. I hate it. That's justice. Dude, there's nothing worse than when you're watching a movie, right? There's nothing worse than when you're watching a movie and like the bad guys win. You know what I'm talking about? Like, dude, you're watching a movie, you're watching a movie and it's like everything inside of you is like, that's not right, right? And if you're like me, you talk to the movie. Anybody talk to the movie, right? And everybody who's not raising your hand, you roll your eyes at people like me, right? You're like, they can't hear you, right? And I'm like, I don't care because this is my sense of justice. We get angry when we see wrong, when we see evil prosper. When we see bad things win and be successful, we just, we just, it's inside of us, right? We go, that's not 
the way it was supposed to end. And then you write like fan mail to the director and you're like, you're an idiot. I'm never going to watch one of your movies again, right? It's so strong inside of us. Dude, you know, you, well, I had to throw this in there, right? Speaking of justice, if you're cheering, if you're cheering, you just missed the whole point about bad guys winning. Anyway, anyway, all right. We're talking about justice, all right? Listen, listen. There's not, not, the only thing that's worse, the only thing that's worse than seeing the bad guys win is seeing good people suffer. You know what I'm talking about? How many saps in the room? How many people are unashamed to be like, I cry at movies, right? I cry. Yo, here it is. Here it is. What? You're like five minutes late, dude. Check it out, all right? Here it is. Worst scene, and I don't care. I'm just gonna be honest here. I love it. Worst scene ever in movie history. All right. See it? Look. Look. All of you right now. Yep. I get it. Check it out. What's happening right now? Look, look around. Guys, look. Look at the faces. Quiet. Quiet. Listen to the voices. Look at the faces right Everything right now inside of us, we look at this when good people suffer and they're, and they're wrong, and we go, that's not right. That's our sense. Of, hey, guys in the back, it's really not like snack time. It's like citizens grown up time. So let's turn the chairs. We're looking forward, right? Thanks, guys. Right? The, everything inside of us, we look at it and we're like, that's not right. And you know what? You know what kind of stinks? This goes way beyond movies, Right? This is like real life stuff. When you look around the world and you see good people suffer. When you look around the world and you see good people, innocent people taken advantage of. When you see good people as the objects of evil, it's so much more than just movies. This is our sense of justice. And you know why we have this sense of justice? It's because we're made in the image of God. And every time you look at a person who, who is evil and you go, oh, I hate that. And every time you look at, at somebody who's suffering and they're good and you get sad, that's like the fingerprints of God's character all over your soul. The reason why you feel that way is because that's what God is like and he created you in his image. And so we rightly get angry at injustice. We rightly get sad when people are taken advantage of because that's God's character inside of us. That's God's image. We're talking today about justice. We're looking at a time of history, right? Malachi, in his day. Malachi's day, there was a lot of injustice. There was a lot of evil. Let me give you some examples here. The world was full of adulterers. We talked about this, I think, last week, right? Where dudes were literally leaving their spouses to go and chase other women. That's wrong. That's evil. You look at that and you go, oh, that's not... How could you do that to that woman? That's wrong. Not only were they committing adultery, but you look at it and it's, they were swearing falsely. And so they were going and they would literally be like, dude, I hate that Andrew guy. You know what? Uh, I know that in order for us to have a lawsuit against him, we need like more than one witness. So you guys want to like make a lie up with me? Yeah, yeah. All right. We'll go. And us three, we go to court and be like, dude, the Andrew guy, I saw him uh, steal, right? And now Andrew would be punished just so that we can like get his land. It's just, What? You're lying in court? That's unjust. They oppressed the hired worker in their wages, and especially, specifically the widow and the fatherless. So imagine I'm running a business in Malachi's day, right? I'm running a business, and widows, they're like desperate for jobs, so I hire all the widows and the orphans because they don't have people to provide for them, and then when payday comes, I don't pay them. 
And they're like, but sir, I, I need my check. I, I need to eat. I, I have no food at home. Yeah, sorry. Totally taking advantage of them against those who thrust aside the sojourner. So people would be coming into town and they had no shelter and they're desperate for someone to take care of them. And then people would go and take advantage of those who had no place to be. This kind of evil, friends, this is real life, right? Like, you guys know this is not just like ancient history. Like, this happens all over the world today. This kind of evil is rampant in Malachi's time. It's rampant in people in Israel here. And so the question that we're gonna answer today is this. What is God going to do about it? What is God going to do about it? When we see those situations that cause us to go, oh, that's not right. That's evil. That's unjust. The question we will answer today is what is God going to do about it? And we find out, we resume our series here, Malachi chapter 2, starting in verse 17. Check it out. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? All right, check this out. This is, I, I love the Bible. First of all, right off the bat, there's a metaphor here. You've wearied the Lord, right? Like God, the creator of the universe, like he, he's like using this picture here, this word picture of like, guys, like, come on. <laughs> I'm tired. Give me a break. I'm tired of this. If this is God of the universe who like breathes things into existence, what do you have to do to exhaust God, right? Like what do you have to do to, for God to go, come on already, right? You know what they're doing here? They think they can do evil because they think God is gone. Israel thinks that they can do evil because they think that God, he's gone. Look what it says here, right? Look how their definitions of good and evil have switched, right? These are people that they look at evil and they go, yeah, that used to be called evil, but um, I think that's actually pretty good. They think that everyone who does evil, this is, ah, you know what, that used to be called evil, but I think, um, I think it's gonna be good. I think that's okay now. I mean, they used to be sin, they used to be evil, but guys, come on, we're better than this. Like, these things are normal now, right? Everybody does these things. These are good things. I mean, can you guys just grow up and be real for a little bit? Like, if we didn't do it to them, it would have been done to us anyway. And so now we live in a society where let's just, we're mature enough to decide for ourselves what's good and evil, right? Like, we're mature enough, we're enlightened to where we understand that those old rules, maybe they were necessary for like our prude parents, right? Yeah, mom and dad. Our prude parents needed those. And I mean, our grandparents, yeah, they're prude. They're super prude. They definitely needed those. But I mean, like, guys, we're, we're mature enough now. We know better, don't we? That's what they're saying here. And notice, guys, the, the people that are saying these things, they're not atheists, okay? Well, yeah, the people that don't believe in God, they're always going to say, these aren't atheists. Look what, they're, look what they're saying. They say, evil is good in the sight of the Lord my brothers and sisters of the Most High. I mean, they're using like spiritual vocabulary, right? Evil and good, the sight of the Lord. These are people inside the people of God. These aren't atheists. These are people that what they're basically saying is, don't let your old fashions, definitions of good and evil get in the way of life. These are people that are painting like a more, 
enlightened picture of God. <laughs> we're so mature, we're so advanced. We used to think that these things were evil, but guys, I'm here to tell you, it's actually good. It actually pleases God, these things now, because doesn't God want you to be happy? They're literally redefining what is good and evil. Friends, one of the reasons why God gave his law, like one of the main reasons, here, hold this, right? Gift from God to Andrew, right? Like one of the reasons why he did this was to teach us his standard of morality. One of the phrases that you'll see over and over in the Old Testament is, this was evil in the sight of the Lord. This was good in the sight of the Lord. This was acceptable in the sight of the Lord. The Bible was given to teach us what is, a what is a moral standard in the sight of the Lord? But look where they're looking. Are they looking inside the word of God for that standard? Where are they looking? Inside themselves. This is a culture that they've departed from the old-fashioned word of God. They've, they've moved on. You could say they graduated. They've graduated from God's law because what he said was good and evil, I mean, that's... That's no longer the standard. Don't be old-fashioned. Friends, what other people consider normal or, but it doesn't hurt anybody or, but it makes me happy or, but it's being true to me. Guys, that's not the standard for morality. God's word is. Oh, but I think it's normal. Everybody's doing Everybody's doing it does not determine what is right in the sight of the Lord. God's word decides what is right in the sight of the Lord. And so these people, right off the bat, we see they're in a very dangerous place. They're in a very dangerous place. They're doing evil, but they're going, Psh, well, I say it's good, so who's to say it's wrong? I mean, everybody, do, who's to say, who's to say? And they're just going off doing injustice. And here's what I wonder. How in the world do they think they can get away with this? right? Like, these are God's people. How in the world do they think that they can just go through life doing this evil? How do they think that they can get away with it? Well, the answer is right here. Look what they say. Where's the God of justice? Where's the, <laughs> where's the God of justice, right? You can't read this as like, hey, uh, I have a genuine question. Have you seen the God of justice? I've looked everywhere. Where is the God? He's not, no, this is not like, remember, when you read your Bible, it's not flat, it's dynamic, it's a language. Picture emojis, right? This is not, where's the God of justice? This is, whoops, where's the God of justice, right? What they're really saying here is there is no God of justice. Guys, look around. What's the point of keeping these old laws? What, I mean, guys, these are dated. This is so ancient. That perspective that you have of the God of justice, <laughs> that God of Moses, like picture of God where he punishes the evil and, you know, helps the good. I mean, that picture is so dead. That God does not exist. I mean, if that God really existed, look around. He'd probably be doing something about this. But what do we see when we look around? I mean, look, like there's no God of justice. The people who were doing what we used to think was evil, they're not just doing okay. They're thriving. They're happy. They're successful. And doesn't God want us to be happy and successful? Guys, the barbaric picture that you have of that God of justice, where is that God? He doesn't exist. 
It's those who are doing their own thing. They're succeeding. Those who aren't following these old-fashioned standards, they're the ones that are doing really good. Again, if God really had a problem with what we're doing, he'd probably do something about it. Think about it. And play, right? You're like, my youth pastor's a heretic. No, no, I'm trying to person. Do you guys follow? If you follow, say yes, right? That's what they're saying. And so I wonder today, as you're sitting in your seats, does this sound familiar? <laughs> does this, does this, any of this sound familiar? These are the kind of passages that when you read them, you go, huh, maybe there's not as big of a difference between ancient Israel and my country, right? Maybe the Bible is not as outdated and irrelevant as I thought it was, right? Students, when you choose to obey God and follow his standard, when you choose to look to God's word to determine what morality is, you are going to meet people, the verse 17 kind of people, you're going to meet them even in the church. Students, oh, high, young adults, high school, upper high school, young adults, you're going away to college. Man, and I just get angry at this because you guys are going to meet people that they don't deny that God exists, right? They're too smart for that. They're not going to get you there because then you'll just know that I'm on my guard. They're not atheists. There are people that instead of denying that God exists, what they want you to do is grow up. <laughs> you immature little Christians, just grow up. Can you realize that what you used to consider evil, like, it's okay? It's actually more than okay. It's actually good for you. When you guys break away from your parents' standard of morality, that's a sign of you growing up. That's a sign of you becoming more mature and enlightened. And guys, I mean, don't just be a, a little schoolboy or a schoolgirl and your parents clone. Like, when you start to realize that what you thought was evil is actually good, you're actually in a lot better place. That is pleasing in the sight of our Lord. Students, right now, hear me. With all the conviction in my soul, there is nothing honorable. There is nothing praiseworthy. There is nothing applaudable about moving on from the word of God, okay? There's nothing that, there's nothing that deserves to be applauded. There's no reward of maturity in outgrowing what you've learned from God's word and what he says is evil and good in the sight of the Lord. Never graduate from that. Never move on. These are not just moral fables of childhood that, yeah, I learned those lessons, but now I need to move on. Students, wisdom, true wisdom, true success. That's what the word blessed means, which this, probably this, wait for it, yes, this summer, we're gonna go to Sermon on the Mount. Dang, I just made that decision. It's official, right? Let it be written. We're going. <laughs> and he starts off the whole passage with blessed be, blessed be, meaning they got it right. Successful are these kind of people. You want to know what it means to be successful? Fear the Lord. Follow his standard. Don't let people tell you that you need to graduate and move on and grow up, students, okay? Don't let them redefine what is good and evil. Because, oh man, like, I, I don't stand up here and make my living off of just telling you guys to be good boys and good little girls, right? I don't stand up here as your youth pastor passing along, well, here's what your parents want you to think, kids, and so they're paying me, so I gotta tell you to obey them. I'm not just passing on these like good boy, good girl standards. I'm passing on God's standard, right? When I, when I give you the standard of marriage that we espouse here, when I give you the standard of purity, when I give you the standard of handling our finances, when I give you the standard of what we do with our words and our mouths and our actions and our thoughts, 
I'm not giving you my standard. I'm just passing on God's standard. What is evil in the sight of the Lord? And blessed be the person who fears God enough to obey his word. But that's not them, right? They're here just going, man, if God was evil, I think he'd be doing something about this. And apparently he's not. So where's the God of justice? Guys, it's a, where's the God of justice? And the next few verses will make you poop your pants. I hope you wore two pair today. Because legitimately, God responds, dude. God responds. And it's not just like a, guys, you know better. God responds in all of his fury and glory and mercy. And you're like, I don't know whether to be scared or in awe. And the answer is both. Because it's beautiful. God's response is this. He goes, you want to know where the God of justice is? You, you want to know where the God of justice is? You're asking, what's the point? Well, let me tell you, I'm coming. And I'm going to show you the God of justice. Look what he says in the next few verses. Behold. Whenever you see the word behold, that's not like a flowery language. That's like, pay attention here. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek, right? You hear the sarcasm here? Yo, God can throw it down with the best of them, right? Oh, where's the God of justice? God's like, well, the God of justice, right? Like, God's not batting an eye here. He's not giving an inch. He goes, oh, the God that you're seeking? Yeah, let me tell you about him, right? The Lord whom you seek, he will suddenly, another translation, he will swiftly come to his temple. He's not lollygagging. He's not lollygagging. Yeah, I'll be there. He's, I'm gonna suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. We see that God will respond to sin by coming to the place of sin. Guys, check this out, right? They're all here. They're huddled up and they're like, dude, where's the God of justice, right? He's gone. There is no king of this kingdom. We can do whatever we want. And the picture that we get here is like a processional. Everybody know what a processional is? <laughs> all the married people are like, yes. Well, most, most times we use the word processional for like a wedding processional, right? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, that's not a wedding. Time out. Right? Another type of processional. Where are my seniors at? Woo! Where are my guy seniors at? <laughs> it's like, oh, they were there. Uh, awkward, right? But they're coming down, and it's like, you're going to have a processional, right? Another type of processional, which he's talking about here, it's this picture of a king. And this guy's pointing, right? Because the king, shining in glorious light. And the king is coming, and we get this picture of a processional. Did I put the picture in here? Oh, yes, dude. Boof. I tried to find as ancient and as epic of a picture as possible. This is live footage from, Art from King Xerxes, um, <laughs> taken with a drone. And um, dude, like, this is a processional. You get the idea that the king has been out of the, the walls, right? The king has been off. Maybe he's at war. Maybe he was visiting another dignitary, but the king is gone. And then, just like we kind of heard in the beginning that you thought was my awesome meditation, but it was reverb. I don't think that's the word, but I like that word better. Yeah. Um, so, right, they're there. The king is gone. And all of a sudden you hear, and everybody's like, oh. And they drop their stuff. And the dishes are in the sink. They're like, Mom, you're not done with the dishes. I don't care. Run. It's the processional, right? And they come and they're leaving. I'm like, 
and they're looking at the walls, and what they do is they know the trumpet's down. That means the king has returned. And so what they all do, they go line up, and the gates, but oh, dude, you know what I could have done a picture of? Aladdin, right? Prince Ali, handsome as he, Ali Ababa, right? He's coming through, and he's coming, and there's like elephants, and there's like giraffes, and all these things. But seriously, the procession of the king, though, is not made up of animals from the Middle East. It's not a procession of the Lion King. There are just people coming, right? And there's this long line, and it's just, it's just honor. It's pomp and circumstance because the one at the end is worthy of it. And they're coming, and the king is being carried on the throne, kind of like what you see here. It's a processional. And so the picture he gives is, he goes, you want to know where the God of justice is? He's coming. Legit. He's coming. And you know who's standing at the front of the processional? So you got all this line and the people, and you're out here, and it's like the throne is in here, and it's the king is coming. You can't even see him, but you smell him, right? And it's coming. And it's like what you have at the beginning of the line, you have this one dude who has the best job in all of human history. Dude, legit. If I could go to any period of human history between these years and have to do a job, I would be this guy. And who, here's who he is it's God's messenger. So dude, at the beginning of the line, you have this dude and he gets the distinct privilege and honor of being this guy. <clears throat> He's coming! He's a herald. He gets to be the one. He's the herald. He gets to be the one who goes, everybody, he's probably like sounding the trumpet, right? Prepare the way, everybody, get ready. The king is coming. And the messenger has the distinct privilege of announcing the arrival of the God King. He has the distinct privilege of pointing, and he goes, everybody, you know what my job is. I had one job, and that is to point to the King. And so without further ado, that guy, right? You wanna know where the King is? You follow the finger of the messenger. That's the coolest job. The messenger gets to point to the king. And so God, his answer here, he says, you want to know where the God of justice is? I'm coming. And at the front of the line will be a messenger. And imagine the mayhem, right? Like imagine all of Israel. They're hanging out here on their altar with their dirty sacrifice. And they're like, hey, listen, Andrew, the God of justice, he's dead. That king, that God is gone. That's, that God doesn't, isn't around anymore. That's not a real God. Oh, snap. <laughs> When you just spent your entire life talking about how that God doesn't exist, when you hear the trumpet sound that he's coming, I don't want to be you. Right? That's like the little kids, right? <laughs> that was me. Oh my gosh, that was me. That's like the little kids. It was me, Jackie, and Barbara, and we're home, and I'm like, guys, mom's not coming. <laughs> right? We can do, mom's not going to be back for forever. Guys, we can do, <laughs> you hear the key thing. What do you do? Run. Right? <laughs> But Sammy, mom said we shouldn't go in her room to get the toys. Guys, we'll put it back before she's even there. And we're like, we dropping things, we're running in slow motion. I'm like stiff arming my sister. I'm like, get out of the way, right? She's like dragging on my foot. Oh, you're going down with me, right? It's like, I pity the fool who spent his entire time saying she's not coming home to find her come home. And that's exactly the picture we get here. God is like, I'm coming home. I'm coming. I'm coming. Look what it says, right? I love it here. Like, look where he's coming to, right? This is so legit. Look where the king is coming to. He's not coming through the back door. 
He's not coming like to passively, hey guys, I'm back and maybe we should talk about this. Dude, he comes in like a boss that he is. He comes directly to the place of sin. He comes to the altar. He comes to the temple, right? We've learned a lot about the altar in the past few weeks, how all of these sacrifices were just dirty, right? And he comes and he says, I'm coming and my first stop on my home tour, I'm coming right to the temple. The place where the priests are leading my people wrong, the place where my people are sacrificing disgusting, unworthy things of me, the place that represents the lack of fear for my name, I'm coming there. I'm coming there. How many people want to be those people? No. But here's where the story, here's where our narrative takes a crazy turn because he's coming to the temple, but look what he does when he shows up there. What, well, time out. What do you expect him to do when he shows up, right? They just spent all their time leading people. Do that again. Allison, what, was, was that a bomb emoji, but with your hand? Right? Yep. Who else? Show me some signs. Let's do, I like that. No words. Show me physically what he will do. I like that. He, there's no such thing as guns in that time, but I get the sentiment. Um, pulling his hair. Yeah, right? All right. But check this out. Look what God does. He doesn't do what you expect him to do. And this is what blows my mind. The God, the God King is coming back into the midst. He's coming to the place of sin, but what he does is not what you would expect. Let's look at the next verse here. Who can endure the day of his coming? And everybody said, amen, right? Say amen. If you don't understand it, say it anyway, because it's true. That means like, I write? Basically, that means right? Who can endure the day of this king's coming? Who can stand when he appears? Like nobody on that road is gonna be like, oh, what's up, God King? Glad you made it, right? People are gonna be bowed on their faces before this God. People are gonna be trembling. You thought you pooped your pants. Literally, right? Like who can stand? Dude, side note, there's visions, right? Like in the Bible of where people see God and like the language used there is like they loosed their bowels, right? (laughs) right? They couldn't contain themselves. Like, they're not like, oh, hi, God. They're like, and we laugh, but like, I say that because I want to create a community here where we fear the name of God. We're not a community that takes God lightly, like he's our grandpa in the sky, right? God's not Santa, oh, God. God's not Santa Claus. God's not a genie in a bottle. And dude, I get passionate because we talk about these things so flippantly. God is the God King, and when he comes, nobody stands. Who can endure it? I love when we talk about God like he's our old man in the sky, right? If I ever need a dollar, I ask God. This is the God King, people. This is the God King. Who can endure? Who can stand? For, here's why, for, he's like a refiner's fire. Everybody say fire. And fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. You want to know where the God of justice is? Justice means removing evil. You want to know where the God of justice is? He's coming and he's going to remove evil, but he's not removing evil by removing them. He's removing the evil from their hearts. He's just. He will take care of evil, but he's not going to do it by removing them. He's going to do it by removing sin 
from their hearts and he shows up to purify them. And we see this metaphor here. It talks about silver and gold. Do you guys know how you make gold? How to purify it? Here's what you do. It's, it's super legit. You heat up gold, right? You put it under fire. You literally melt gold. Like if you heat it up, I, am I the only one that's blown away by that? That like everything has a melting point? Like you can, well not everything. Some things spontaneously combust. But gold has a melting point. And so what you do is, like let's say you have a brick, right? A gold brick and there's impurities in it, like it's not pure, you put it on fire and you melt it and you heat it up so hot that the dross rises to the top. So imagine you have a giant vat, right, a pot, and you pour in this liquid, boiling hot gold. And it's so hot that all of the impurities, all of the drosses, all of those strains, they start to rise to the top. You ever let soup cool down and it gets like that thick, that foamy layer on top? That's like what it is, you know? And what they do is they let it get all the way to the top and then when it cools, they scoop it off. And God says, I'm coming, but I'm coming to purify. Whoa, God, I thought you were coming to smash faces. No, I... I am just, and I'm going to remove the evil from your midst. I'm just. I'm going to show people what is evil in the sight of the Lord. And the way that I'm going to do it, though, I'm, rather than removing you, I'm going to remove the sin from your hearts. Guys, this is God. This is God. God's heart isn't to throw them out and choose a new people. He wants to get rid of their sins, but he's going to do it by removing it from their hearts. It's a painful process, guys. This is painful, right? This isn't like, come here, I will pluck it from your heart. Bink! Right? He doesn't come in like, like a dog groomer, right? Just a little snip snip off the top. He comes in like a refiner, and it's painful, and there's heat, and there's stretching, and there's all, all these things, and there's burning. It's a painful process, but it's a loving process. And he does what is necessary. He puts the heat up to the necessary degree to purify his people from their sins. And then look at the results here. This is beautiful. Look at the result of the purifying process. Wait, let me go back. All right, pop quiz. What kind of sacrifices did they bring God throughout the book of Malachi? Trash, yeah. Dirty, right. Why did they bring those things? Why were they bringing those things in their hands? Because they didn't care. It reflected their hearts. The things in their hands reflected what was in their hearts. And because they brought trash, it showed that they had hearts that did not fear or honor or revere God. But look what happens when God purifies his people. Look at the hope. And then they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. <clears throat> the result is that here they stand, they're purified. They're bringing righteous sacrifices, which means that their hands are reflecting their hearts once again. But this time, what do we find in their hearts? If we're seeing righteous sacrifices, what does that mean happen to their hearts? They're righteous. God transformed their hearts. God gave them new hearts. 
And so now they're bringing pure offerings. They're bringing sacrifices that are actually worthy of God because by his grace, they have hearts that have been transformed. They now fear the name of God. When God is done with purification, the result will always be there's fear of the Lord in our hearts. And they will be transformed from a sinful people to a pleasing people. That's beautiful. And so what we learn from this text is that God's response to sin is always to purify it. Where is the God of just? What is God doing about evil in the world? What is God doing about all the sin? What is God doing about all the injustice that people are doing to the good and the innocent? God is just. But we learn that the way that he prefers to deal with sin is by purifying it. God, God's response to sin is to purify it. Students, family moment here, all right? Eyes on me. I know you're taking notes, but let's just connect here, right? This is what God does, right? This is, this is what God does. This is the gospel. This is the God that we proclaim to you guys. I'm not here every Wednesday telling you about a God who sits back and demands obedience. I'm not telling you about some fictitious, super strict God who sits back and says, come and behave. I'm telling you about a God who comes to you and enables obedience. You see the difference? I'm not, the Christianity is not about a God who demands obedience. It's about a God who comes to you and enables obedience. Students, are you sick of your sin? Have you ever come to a point, real, real talk here, have you ever come to a point where you are literally painfully aware of the sin in your heart? Have you ever been brought to tears by your sin? Can we be honest, right? You ever find yourself in the same spot for the umpteenth time and you're going, what the heck is the point? This is hopeless. There's no chance I have against this sin. Students, good news. God's response to sin is to purify it. And all of us, we can bring, no matter where you are, whether you've been in church your whole life, whether it's your first Wednesday, I don't care. The message is that you can come to the Lord aware of your brokenness and have faith that he can purify you. Do you know what it's like to live in freedom? There's some of you in this room who you, to this day, you're 15, 16, 17, 20, whatever age, and you have not experienced the joy of being liberated and free from your sin. There are some of you in this room who are still struggling with your sin and you've just become resigned to the fact that this is the way it'll always be. And I can't tell anybody, I just have to pretend like it's not there because I'm never gonna be over it. I'll never be rid of this. Students, this is our God. He purifies sin. He purifies. It, even, even those of you who it's like, you're almost like sin by proxy, right? Just being in the presence of sin almost contaminates us, right? Sometimes being the recipient of sin makes us feel dirty and shameful. This is God. He purifies it. There's hope, students. The world, they look at your sin and they see your brokenness and they give you, they give you placebos. They go, why are you beating yourself up? Like, this is normal. 
This is, for kids your age, this is normal. Why are you beating yourself up? You have too guilty of a conscience. Your picture of God is too outdated. Your form of religion is too uncouth. Your form of godliness is just way too strict. Why are you beating yourself? And what they do is their response to our pricked conscience is just to go relax. But God offers something so much more profound, something so much more substantial. When he sees you broken of your sin, he doesn't say forget about it. He says, come to me. When he feels you, when he, when he sees you feeling broken over your sin, he doesn't sweep it under the rug. He brings it into the cauldron. And he goes, I'll purify that. And you can experience the joy of not feeling like you live in a straitjacket. You, you can feel the victory of being empowered over your sin. He says, bring it to me. Because God's response to sin is to purify it. There's hope, students. There's hope. Purity is not a pipe dream. It's not. And so that's, that's God's response to sin. He's going to purify it. But what happens, what happens when there's people who refuse to be purified? What happens when the king is coming, right? The king is coming. We now know that he's coming to purify sin. What happens to those that refuse to bow and come to him, right? What happens to those who refuse to acknowledge that they even need to be cleansed? What happens to those middle school and high school students and young adults and parents and grandparents that say, actually, I'm good enough. I don't need, I don't need the purification of Jesus. Okay, I'm, I've been a good person my whole life. What happens when somebody refuses to come to Jesus? Look at the last verse. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift, a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers. We talked about that in the beginning. Those who swear falsely, like, you know, in court. Against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless. Against those who thrust aside the sojourner. All those who refuse to be purified by the king and they persist in these things. He's going to draw near to them, but it's a different kind of drawing near. Those who do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. He's going to draw near. And what we learn, students, is that sin that is not purified will be purged. Have you ever had somebody ask you, how could a loving God judge people? I mean, how can a loving God send people to hell? I mean, how can you read verses like this in your Bible and still go to youth group and, and like still like feel like you're not a super barbaric conservative? Like, you really believe in a Bible that says that he's going to draw near for judgment? How can you believe that? And you know what I say to people like that? Read it in its context. Because this comes in the context of God wanting to purify them. But for those who don't want to be purified, for those who don't come to him, God is just. God can't let it slip on the right. God is, God is not like a crooked judge that goes, I'll wink to your sin. Remember, they were asking, where's the God of justice? He goes, I'll show you. I take care of evil. And it's almost like this. Me and Courtney were talking earlier, and I just got this word picture. Like, imagine a claw. Like, remember the games that you waste all your money on and you never win anything? Right? Right? Check, right? So imagine a claw, and it's like God is like, dude, I'm just. My holiness moves me to remove sin from the world. 
And so what he does is, this is what he does. He reaches in. His strategy for removing sin from the world is instead of like picking up the people, he like reaches in and picks the sin out of her heart. And he like pulls it out. And that's his strategy. He, he goes in and instead of plucking people out of the world, he rather plucks sin out of their hearts. That's what justice is, removing evil. But sometimes, and this is the context, when he reaches in and goes to grab sin out of the heart, for those who won't let go of the sin, for those who stay clinging on, they're like attached to it. And so God, he doesn't come to judge people and, and want to send them. He's judging sin. He's removing sin out of the world. And for those who refuse to part from it, they will be judged with it. How can God, how could a loving God, read the context. God, you don't think God is loving? God's response to sin is to purify it. If that's not loving, I don't know what is. If that's not loving, students, then your friends have a wrong definition of love. Because real love loves you enough to put you through the painful process of purifying you, not leaving you in the sin that is destroying you. Hmm. Man, real quick, real quick, look, look at this, real quick. Um, can I go back here? See these things, adulterers, swear falsely, oppress the hired worker, the widow and the fatherless. You see, see those words? You know where they come from? God's law. He's literally listing the things that he told them all along, these are evil in the sight of the Lord. So by him coming back, notice what he's doing here. This is so beautiful. God, talking about his justice, is reminding them where they should be looking for their standard of morality. And so we saw earlier that they departed from it, but by bringing up these things, he's reestablishing it. Mercifully, he's reminding them, this is still the standard. This is still what I'm using to define what is good and evil in the world. And then I love the summary statement, those who do not fear me. I can summarize all of your sins in one sentence. I can summarize all of the law in one sentence. Fear the Lord. And if you're sinning, Dude, oh, I remember Jake Seal, you talked about this in your testimony from camp, right? Like, the idea that sin is more than just a, a single action, right? Poof, ow, I sinned. Sin is more than just an action. The picture that the Bible paints of sin is there's an inner orientation against God that says he's not worthy of this. It's an inner attitude that says, yeah, God, I, that's good enough for God. And so he summarizes all those sins there. No, they don't fear me. They don't fear me. And so as the band comes, guys, here's the good news. God is coming to purify sin, right? God's response to sin is to purify. And so here it is. Here's the procession, right? Here's the king, and he's coming. And one day, we will get to see the king. One day, we will get to see the king, the God king, coming to purify the place of sin. And you know how we'll know when he's coming? Think about it. How will we know when this king is coming? How will we know when the procession has begun? Think about it. Don't play until they get this. How will we know, us in the kingdom, how will we know that the procession has begun? Who's blowing the trumpet? The messenger! We will know when the procession has started because there will be a herald. There will be a messenger, the text tells us. 
So friends, I'm here to tell you that one day we will know God is coming because we will hear from his messenger. Oh, oh wait a minute. Maybe, no, did we miss? Did, did we miss the procession? Did, did it already come? Wait a minute, there was a messenger, dude, like 2,000 years ago. Look what it says. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of God, heaven is at hand, right? He's like preparing the way. Repent, everybody get ready, he's coming. Wait a minute, that sounds familiar. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Whoa, prepare the way of the Lord. Could John the Baptist be the messenger guy? I think Matthew 11 confirms it. Look, this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. What verse is this that he's quoting? Malachi 3.1. And so the Bible reveals to us that John the Baptist is the messenger. John the Baptist is the dude that has the privilege of pointing and announcing, the God King is here. And so John shows up and he's like, prepare the way. And everybody goes, oh, John's the messenger. And so they start getting their household ready and they're repenting and they're coming to him and they're being baptized and they're confessing their sins because they realize I gotta clean up. The king is coming, the king is coming. And then one day, John the Baptist, he stands up and he goes, guys, he's here. And if you want to find out where the king is, you follow his finger. Remember I said that earlier? If you wanna see the king, follow the messenger's finger. And John the Baptist says, he's here. And he points. And who is at the end of his finger? This dude from Nazareth named Jesus Christ. And everybody goes, skirt, what? I, I thought you were supposed to point to the God King. I thought you were supposed to point to the one who's coming in all of his glory. And students, if it's not clear right now that I'm, I have your lost cause, it's so clear. The messenger did reveal the God King. Jesus is the God King. Jesus is the one coming in on the processional and he's coming to purify the place of sin. Not the temple, but your hearts. God's response to sin is to purify and he did it by coming in the person of Jesus Christ. Is that good news? All of you are here like, I wanna meet the king, I wanna meet the king. Look at the messenger, he pointed out the king. And so the God king who is coming to purify your sin was none other than Jesus Christ. That's good news for you today. That is good news. And so here's how we're gonna respond. We're going to have a processional here, okay? So move the chair, no, I'm just kidding. We're not. But in our hearts we are. In our hearts, we're gonna make room. And as we sing this song, let's sing that song again. You know what I'm talking about, Max. The song with the thing and the brokenness, right? <laughs> as we sing that song, as we sing that song, I want you to picture yourself and the king is coming and you're caught in your sin and you're caught in your mess and your only response is to bow. Your only response is to turn yourself in. Your only response is to bring your sin to Jesus because he is God who purifies you.